Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, my guest is Zach Buchwald. Zach is the head of the US and Canada Institutional Business for BlackRock, the $9 trillion asset manager, the world's largest, by the way, which is traded on the New York Stock Exchange under the call letters BLK. Zach is a managing director and heads BlackRock's institutional business across the US and Canada. He leads sales, client service, strategy, and research, and he is responsible for delivering BlackRock's investment capabilities to the firm's institutional clients. Zach also serves on BlackRock's Global Operating Committee and several other committees, and he's executive sponsor for BlackRock's LGBT Employee Network. He's a Harvard grad, and he's also a trustee of New York City's celebrated public theater, the producer that brought us Hamilton. And he serves on the board of directors for the Jericho Project, a nonprofit homeless service organization. Zach Bookwald, welcome to The Caring Economy. Toby, I am delighted to be here. Thank you for including me. You know, Zach, for many years, I have uh, cited your CEO, Larry Fink, as a great leader around responsible business. I love his belief that I share that purpose and profit are inextricably linked. And today I'd like to explore how that plays out in your business. You're part of the business in particular. Um, and uh, a particular interest to me is your focus on the retirement crisis. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you to just share with our listeners a little bit about your career journey and how you got where you are today. Sure. Um, again, thanks for thanks for having me. And um, I've spent 13 years at, at, at BlackRock in a couple of different capacities. I, I came to BlackRock um, to help create a essentially a consulting practice mm -hmm. um, during the peak of the financial crisis. BlackRock worked on a lot of the, the problematic situations um, with the with the U.S. government, with the U.K. and, and, and other official institutions, as well as a lot of big banks and insurance companies, was really to help them deal with the challenges from the financial crisis. And I um, and I served in that capacity for uh, several years. And then um, I, I, I went on to, to lead BlackRock's um, insurance business, which we call Financial Institutions Group. Mm -hmm. And two years ago, BlackRock asked me to, um, to lead our institutional business, which is about $2 trillion that we manage on behalf of um, pensions, 401ks, Endowments, foundations, family offices, uh, healthcare institutions, and that's um, that's been quite an interesting challenge. Um, of the two years that I've been working on this practice, um, most of that time has been dedicated to helping clients deal with COVID and 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 the rippling implications of how their business models um, have changed. If you think about our clients, you know, hospital systems obviously have been deeply impacted by COVID. It's not just that they're having to deal with COVID; it's that their usual sources of revenues have. Um, for, for a period of time, dried up all of those voluntary procedures. Mm -hmm. um, the endowments that we help manage money for, um, you know, student life was just upended completely. Uh, tuition dollars went down when many students didn't go back to their schools that drew from, they drew from the endowments. Instead, the foundations um, that, we, that we manage money for, many of them were deeply impacted. Uh, you know, you think about the, 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 the causes and the missions that they serve, they were deeply impacted by COVID. So, it's been quite an interesting run for me because I've really only been in this job uh, during a, a crisis period and a very you know deeply transitional period as well. But um, you know, but what an interesting opportunity to you know to try to help understand our clients, um, their challenges and their objectives, and figure out figure out solutions for them. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're someone who's constantly um, sort of baptism under fire. You've come, you went to BlackRock to build something from scratch. The financial crisis hit. And then you get this new role a couple of years ago and COVID hits, but it seems to me that you thrive in that setting. 
I appreciate you saying that. Um, it's, I mean, certainly challenge is one of the things that makes all, all of these jobs uh, very interesting. You know, when I think about the people that work on on my team and and how we can try to make sure that they're having you know positive experiences, making sure that they have a challenging role is um, is sort of priority number one. Um, you know, obviously we think about the, the the quality of the work environment and the relationship with the managers and compensation and all those other um, very important factors, but having a challenging role, feeling like um, there's new challenges that come about as opposed to the same, you know, sort of rote responsibilities again and again. It's literally um, item number one when I think about people's careers and, and as well uh, my own career. I enjoy having um, having new challenges and, and, and certainly that's been a, a silver lining of, um, of the health crisis has been that um, we've been able to get really deeply involved with our clients on some very, very important kind of, you know, life or death matters that have a huge impact on, on the future viability of these organizations. Mm -hmm. So I feel very fortunate to be able to um, play that role. Um, so let's stick with that long-term view, which I, I, I really respect and value. Um, more specifically about the retirement crisis. You've, you've, you've spoken and worked around that issue for a long time. Your clients, as you noted earlier, are largely teachers and police and firefighters and municipal workers and so forth. Um, they're struggling to retire with some kind of security, some kind of dignity. And I wonder if you might talk a little bit about what you and, and BlackRock are doing in that area. Sure. Um... I mean, Toby, you use the word crisis, and I think you're correct to, to do that. We don't often say uh, retirement crisis in America. You think about the crises that we deal with. There's the health crisis. There was the financial crisis. Those are very well known. Mm -hmm. And and you know, many of the people probably listening to this podcast have experienced you know experienced those crises. Retirement crisis is not something that really gets that broadly discussed. Um, but what's happening in America and around the world is, in fact, um, a crisis. You know, think about. Think about how people would retire in our parents' generation. Um, you know, many of them worked in corporate America. They had pensions as part of their, their benefits package. And the, the majority of people that worked in corporate America had a pension. Yes. And when they retired, they had a guaranteed income stream for the rest of their lives. Now, it might not have been quite as much as they were making during their working period, but it was substantial enough that, um, that it was enough for them to, to live on, usually comfortably, for the rest of their life. And the risk of that pension, the longevity risk, how, you know, how long people lived, that was borne typically by the companies where they had, where they had spent their careers. Well, what's happened you know, in the last generation is that, um, uh, is that those pensions like slowly converted typically into 401ks, which can also be a good product, but it, what it does is it's taken the burden of managing one's retirement away from the company and it's put it onto the individual. So if you're lucky enough to have had a good career and to have had access to a proper 401k, a defined contribution program, and maybe to get some contributions from the company that you worked for, even in the best case scenario, what happens when you retire is you're basically delivered a pile of assets and you're then responsible for managing those assets for the rest of your life. And most people, to be honest, the vast majority of people are not really qualified or capable yep. of doing that. Yep. What's also happened is... Um, you know, it's it's like people opt out of those programs. They don't make the contributions. They don't save the companies. You know, when they go through harder times, they don't make the same level of contributions. And most people that do retire are not retiring with a big, you know, what I'll call a nest egg, a big enough nest egg to actually, um, not only can't they manage it properly, but it's not necessarily big enough for them to, uh, to last for the rest of their lives. And on top of that, by the way, people are living a lot longer. That's theoretically a really good thing. They're living longer, healthier lives but not if you don't have um, the right assets to support it. 
Mm -hmm. So what's going on, Toby, in a lot of individual people feel it and, and they don't necessarily recognize that it's actually epidemic across this country and across the world, people are retiring without the resources and without the skills to manage themselves through for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to get worse because a lot of pensioners, like there's still people retiring that have lived and, and, and put together pensions, but all of that is going to roll off in the next several years. And we're, we're now stuck in a system um, where people just don't have the same level of support. So BlackRock, you know, this is a very long-winded answer, I suppose, but BlackRock is in a position where we manage a lot of those retirement assets and we think that we can have an impact on the system to try to create, there's, there's, no, there's no short, short-term solutions here, but um, to try to create a better model that includes income where longevity risk is, you know, somehow taken away from the individual and where people can um, retire with a little bit more security, with more dignity, and they don't have to worry about um, if they live a wonderful, healthy life for 30 or 40 more years beyond their retirement, where's, you know, how are they gonna pay their electric bill or their rent or their mortgage? Um, and there's a lot of steps that we're taking to do, you know, to do that. We're work, you know, we work with companies to try to evolve the, the existing 401k model. It reflects, you know, reflects some of the shortcomings from the, the old pension model, but it has its own shortcomings. And, and you know, we're working with a number of companies to try to evolve that model to include some of the things like lifetime income that, you know, that we think are really important to, to helping individuals um, have better, you know, healthier, longer, yes. successful retirements. I think what you're describing is quite palpable, frankly. It's not necessarily, as you've implied, people don't necessarily have the word or the awareness about what it is, but they're feeling it. And it manifests itself, I think, in, all kinds of ways from strident nationalism to fear of the other, however, or whoever that might be. Um, ladies and gentlemen, again, today, we're honored to have Zach Bookwald with us. He's head of the US and Canada institutional business at BlackRock, a $9 trillion asset manager traded on the, on the New York Stock Exchange, BLK. Um, Zach, I wanted to uh, ask, because of what you're, you just shared with us, how does one institutional or individual get in touch with you or your colleagues at BlackRock if they like what they're hearing? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty accessible on, you know, on the interwebs. I'm, uh, I'm, a, link, I'm a LinkedIn user. So if that's how folks are, are accessing this podcast, they can, they can find me that way. And I, I, I can certainly direct traffic around, around BlackRock for, um, to find the right, you know, the right experts. Uh, the business that I look after, we have, um, we have segment heads for every part of the institutional business. So deep expertise in the hospital systems, foundations, endowments, family offices, pensions, 401ks, you name it. And, um, and you know, dedicated. Ask for Zach. What's that? <laughs> Just ask for Zach. <laughs> uh, big team of people. And we'll, we'll, we can always, uh, you know, help everybody find the right, uh, you know, find the right source. That's terrific. So uh, Zach, let's talk a little bit about DEI. How, why, and how do you focus on DEI at BlackRock? Sure. Um, well, listen, I've been at BlackRock for 13 years, and you know, during that time, you know, we like the rest of corporate America have been on uh, a, a bit of a journey. But really, since I arrived, Toby, we've been talking about diversity and inclusion a lot at BlackRock, and over the years, I think we've kind of created you know more and more ambitious goals for ourselves. To, to try to achieve the ideals that we were, you know, 13 years ago, probably just you know, talking about more than actually, um, you know, creating, mm -hmm. creating plans and strategies for, for making the right improvements. 
Um, and we're in a, you know, in a much stronger place today. If I think about the, you know, the sales team and the relationship team that I lead, it's a very, very diverse team, very gender balanced and, you know, folks from, uh, you know, many different kinds of diverse backgrounds, the clients that we serve, um, you know, if I think about the organizations, uh, the retirees that were, you know, whose, whose retirements we're looking after, you know, these are teachers, firefighters, police people, municipal workers, very diverse. Um, I love going to meetings where we have actual representation from the retirees. They see our diverse team. We see their diverse populations, um, you know, people from every socioeconomic background. And it's very compelling. You know, we're big believers. There's a lot of science, by the way, out there that diverse populations make better long-term decisions. That is absolutely true in the investment space as well. Um, you know, they, better investment outcomes come from diverse teams. There's lots of science behind that. And we believe in that at BlackRock. And we're working very hard to create diversity, not just in the sales team that I look after, but on the investment teams, um, where it's a little bit of a harder and, and longer road to, 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 to get there. Um, and then, listen, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, we're more than 16,000 people. And it's not, it's not always an easy, perfect, straight line to getting there. And we've had bumps in the road at BlackRock. And some of your listeners might have read, you know, there's, uh, you know, have read about um, uh, experiences that people have had at BlackRock that haven't lived up to the ideals that we're, that we're putting forward. And mm -hmm. we take those very, very seriously. There are no illusions at the top of the house at BlackRock that everyone has had a happy and successful experience mm -hmm. um, and supportive experience, people from, especially people from diverse backgrounds. And, and those are, those are moments where we really get to take a good hard look at, at the organization and, and, and try to you know, figure out ways that we're just going to keep working hard to do better. Well, you need that introspection if you're ever going to learn and grow, both personally and professionally. So I, uh, and no organization is, is flawless. So I appreciate your even being so candid with our audience today because that, again, reinforces my belief that you as a person and BlackRock as a brand are actually trying to lead by example and really practice what you preach so thank you for sharing that there was there's one particular um you know situation that that uh that happened at blackrock where some there was a junior person who had a an unhappy experience and the morning after i read about that i had the day off from work and i sat down and wrote um a post on linkedin about my experience and the 20 plus years i've had you know working at morgan stanley and now and now blackrock as an out lgbt person mm -hmm. which also hasn't been perfect and in a straight line. And there have been, you know, plenty of moments where I, um, where I, you know, felt uncomfortable or felt uh, um, like folks were sort of insensitive. But the fact is, on the whole, I've had a wonderful experience. I've had lots of mentors, um, not LGBT mentors, but people who knew me really well, who believed in me as a person for all, you know, for all the pieces that I am. And, um, and I've had a great experience. And, I want that to be out there in the world as well. Sure. You know, it's it's very easy these days with, you know, with social media um, for for individual episodes to kind of take on a life of their own and to lose sight of the fact that many people like you and me um, who come from different diverse backgrounds have actually had sort of wonderfully supportive, I don't want to speak on your behalf, I'll say on mine, You're wonderfully right. supportive and exciting careers. So I want, you know, I want that to be out there too. Yeah, I, I think that it is, Zach, but I, I share that sentiment completely. I think of the concept of reputational currency. And I think that you, I've known you all these years and I've seen you at work. I follow BlackRock and I think that there's solid, well-earned reputational currency, not flawless, 
but that's what makes, I think, a brand stronger and better and it's people more nimble is dealing, it's how you deal with those kinds of moments, right? No one has that straight arrow, uh, I think, but some do a better job at dealing with it. And that then in fact, I think has been why brands such as BlackRock have done well, relatively speaking through COVID and other crises, because you're just conditioned, socialized to deal with change and crises, quite frankly. I, by the way, you mentioned LinkedIn at the beginning of, uh, of, yeah. of this session. I, I've only been active on LinkedIn actually for the past year. And, and part of the reason that I've been doing that is trying to um, is, is trying to create a little bit more representation around the L, you know, uh, being an LGBT leader at BlackRock and in the industry. I've always been out in my professional life, but never in a particularly like public fashion. I never really used any of the, the, the tools like social media to, to do that. Um, you know, I've also been inspired and, and gently nudged a little bit um, over the last year with all the, 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 as you said, the sort of the difficult changes and, and challenges we've gone through to, to be more active and, and be more visible. Uh, when I entered, you know, when I entered the industry 20 odd years ago, as far as I can recall, there weren't any LGBT senior role models in, in, in finance or asset management that I looked to. Um, if anything, it was something that you know, when I came out, I was, it was sort of accepted, but, you know, never really, uh, certainly not considered a, an asset, um, you know, by any standard. And, you know, I never would have been offered a particular opportunity for being out in LGBT. And the world is changing in a positive direction, for sure, in that regard. And, you know, I consider it a great privilege, um, but also a little bit of an obligation to help usher in that change where I can. And you know, being out and being visible is is one way that I can I can help a little bit. It's awesome. I've seen you grow in your career all these past two decades plus, and I just think um, it's an honor for me to have you on today, Zach. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Zach Bookwald, who's the head of the U.S. and Canada institutional business at BlackRock, a nine trillion dollar asset manager, the world's largest. Um, uh, Zach, I want to ask you just on a personal level. Um, how do you keep it all together? <laughs> you got a big uh, portfolio. Are you? Do you meditate? Do you work out? What? Are you happily married? And it's, we got to compliment our spouses because they help us keep balanced. I think. But how do you do it? I am happily married. I have a wonderful husband named Buddy Kekna. He works at Google, and um, you know that's that's a lot of fun. We have we have a lot in common, but um, but our professional backgrounds are really different, and and we find when we come home sort of the one thing that we have in common in terms of uh in terms of our our, our office background is that we can both talk um, like office politics sort of who, who did what to whom you know in the office that's a language that we both speak other than that he comes from technology and i'm you know obviously finance M most of us working in these fields have a lot going on and uh i don't think i'm like any you know particularly extraordinary in, in, in that capacity i work really hard but i also enjoy the work a lot um i i know that i'm lucky in that every every morning when i wake up um, every morning, I'm excited to come to the office. Yeah. And uh, it hasn't always been that way, but it's been that way for a while. And I feel very fortunate to be in that position that I can, um, that I enjoy the work, that I feel motivated. Mm -hmm. I like the firm that I work for a lot. I find BlackRock to be an inspiring place. And, you know, the bigger you get, the harder it is to, you know, to, to stand for what you believe in, um, because the world is, a, you know, for better and for worse, a diverse place. And when you kind of take a stand on issues like sustainable investing, um, that doesn't always, you know, that does not always play. I can tell you that as the head of the U.S. business, it does not play everywhere in America. Um, but we're doing it because we think it's the right thing.
So I, I love working at BlackRock. Um, how, you know, how do I hold it together? I have other interests, and I, uh, uh, although finance is a pretty big interest, like yeah. you said, I work at, um, I do a lot of volunteer work for the public theater, which I, um, which is enough. By the way, that's another thing that really inspires me. Well, the, I mean, the public theater, if you don't, if you don't know it, um, is the theater behind not only Hamilton, but through the years, it was behind um, a Cars line, Hair, bringing the noise, bringing the funk, uh, Fun Home. We have something that's reopening on Broadway right now uh, uh, called Girl from the North Country. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, and we also do free Shakespeare in the park um, every year, which is like a classic New York staple for everybody that's, um, you know, that's ever been to New York in the summertime. If you haven't, go see Shakespeare in the park. Um, the public theater is uh, a wonderful and historic institution that is as close to the U.S. has to a national theater. Um, you know, not only does it create sort of wonderful theater that we've all, you know, we've all seen and heard about through the years, everybody knows Hamilton, but um, but the mission is really different. Um, the mission for the public theater, as long as it's been around, has been to reflect um, the world that we live in for all its complexity, its beauty, its hardship, its diversity, is to reflect that on the stage. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost inconceivable that a show like Hamilton could have come from anywhere other than the public theater because, you know, it's 2021 today. And the idea of having a bunch of people of color on stage, you know, representing the founding fathers doesn't feel that crazy but when we did it six years ago mm -hmm. it was like uh you know <laughs> it was like the craziest thing ever and it's because the public and the public there has believed in racially blind casting for a very long time but what a way to tell the story about america that really like viscerally just says to you like the, the the america that we've become which is hugely diverse by the way we're telling it through hip-hop and pop and like the mm -hmm. language of today but it's a very classic story and it really lets, you know, it, it lets you in the audience doing something revolutionary, but it also like the people in the audience, every single one of them is connecting the dots here that you're looking at the America of today as we tell, um, you know, a very traditional, a very traditional story. So when the public asked me to join um, the board of trustees, maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't just that it's a beautiful theater. It's, you know, it's, I, I, I love musical theater. You know, we've seen, you know, and, and, there's there's a time and place to go see the sound of music or to go see uh, or to go see you know Carousel, and 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 you know not to disparage any of those shows. Those are beautiful shows. The public theater is not going to do a revival of the sound of music because um, you know the goal again is to reflect the complexity of the world that we live in, and we also, by the way, want that diversity to show up in our audience as well. And we do that by giving away more than 100,000 tickets every year to the shows that we um, that we present. So we get a very diverse audience. And very often, um, these are people that necessarily haven't been to the theater before, and they're having um, their first experience at the public or at the Delacorte, which is the theater that we operate in Central Park for Free Shakespeare in the Park. And they're not only seeing theater for the first time, but they're seeing the very best theater for the first time. I mean. When you get to go see Hamilton at the public theater and it's your first experience and you're doing it subsidized in a really big way by private donors and by the city of New York and by the state of New York, it's a really special moment. So I get to be a part of that. It's very exciting for me. And, you know, again, long answer to your question, how do you do it, is I get to have lots of other interests, including the public theater. Well, Zach, I'm going to let that be the final word because you've just demonstrated to our audience that whether it's at work or at play, you're a purpose-driven person and a really generous person. So thank you for sharing your experience and your life story today and um, keep at it.
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again today, Zach Buchwald, who's the head of the US and Canada institutional business at BlackRock, the $9 trillion asset manager, the world's largest traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Zach, any final thoughts from you? Uh, no, I've been delighted to be here, Toby. Thank you for including me again and look forward to hearing from some of your listeners, I hope. Terrific. Come back soon.